Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going good. I'm back in the... The Great White North. Yeah, I guess that's where we're back to. We're back to Canada, so that's good. The Great Semi-Translucent Icy icy North. Yes, and we've lived through a a large week. You've done most of the living through that, I guess, but we've all survived. We have, we have. Uh, Although, honestly, I I still genuinely think that, that running is the easy part and... Like, I, I felt deeply for you all day Saturday. Yeah, and indeed, Saturday if you haven't night. been following along, Molly had her 100-mile running race. This is an off-road running race. It was the Outlaw 100, uh, and we'll link to that race. It's a great event if you happen to be in Oklahoma or looking for a, a you know fun up-and-coming, I think, 100-miler. It uh, seemed to get a lot of press here off of Molly's run and, and just the running of the race, I think, went really well this year as well. And people are excited for trail running. So if you're looking for something, I think it was well run and, and great, great event overall. Uh, but yeah, so kudos, I guess, you know, as they say. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So first first hundred miler officially in the books, uh, which which just feels really, really good to get it done. Almost I think almost irregardless of how it went, I was just going to be so happy to have finished a hundred miler. That was like a pretty big just benchmark for me or landmark for me, checkpoint for me. I don't know. Right. Okay. Well, uh, we have a few questions from listeners and people that have commented on different posts and stuff that have gone up. We'll try and, you know, go through, uh, you know, what you wanted to do and what you, you know, did well, what you didn't, you know, want to improve on, I guess, in future races. And I thought also we'd talk about sort of where we go, you know, where you go now. That's a great question. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. So, I mean, a hundred miler, we've talked a bit about why you did it. Um, has there been any more miraculous whys about why you did or, or chose to do that? Uh, you know what? I have to admit, during the night, we passed a woman, my, my pacer Karen and I passed a woman who was hiking along. And we said, you know, we did like the hi, like great work. How's it going? And she's like, oh, in this lovely, tiny little voice. Oh, just thinking about my life. <laughs> 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 we got past her and I was like, oh no, Karen, I haven't thought about my life once this whole race. Uh, so I, I hate to say I did not go through any major you didn't find yourself. I didn't find myself no. on the okay. trail. Um, yeah, it, it's actually funny. I was also just interviewing uh, a guy for an article today and we were talking about the race and we were talking about he's been listening to our podcast and he listened to a past episode I did with Drew Holman who's an, another ultra runner great guy has a fantastic podcast the free run podcast that I highly recommend uh, and in that episode I'd actually asked him and I forgot about this I asked him what the difference between a 100k and a 100 miler was because uh, I think I maybe talked to him right after I'd done a 100k last May okay and I was sort of thinking about the 100 miler and I asked him what the difference was and he's like Apparently, he said, and this is this got relayed to me about my interview that I did today um, as I was interviewing someone else. He was like, oh, yeah. And then on your podcast, Drew said that the difference was uh, that in a 100 or in 100K, you have maybe two or three low points. 
but in a hundred miler, you're going to have like five or seven low points. And I, I kind of gulped a little bit and I was like, oh no, I must've run this hundred miler all wrong because I think I only had like maybe two minor low points and I kind of smacked myself out of them pretty quickly. So mm -hmm. I have to say, I feel like my, and you saw me 10 times during the race. I, I do feel like my, my mental energy was pretty evenly keeled for, for most of it. Right. Right. I don't know. You're the one that saw me. Is that an accurate Well, assessment? I mean, we saw you. I mean, this was, a, again, just, you know, I guess an advertisement for the outlaw and why you might consider it. I mean, A, there was lots of distances. There was 5Ks. There's two 5Ks you could have done over this weekend. They have a very, uh, I don't want to say generous time limit, but they have a lot of time limit. You know, the record previous to Molly setting this record for men and women, uh, we didn't say that, but you were under 24 hours. Uh, previous record for men was 26 hours women 27 hours actually, and women was in the 30s. 30s and that you know on the span of 100 mile running races a for the cyclists they're thinking this is taking a long time um but for running races you know some of the faster ones are what like for the men are maybe like 15 16 i think yeah uh, and i'm sure there's a faster these are trail races again not you know the the world record 100 mile on a track um 100 mile on a track's not that much under that either oh i think it's I, now you're putting me on the spot, but I, I thought it was under 12. Maybe? Yeah, they were really fast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyhow, so this was a great one because it looped on back to the sort of center. Uh, you know, it was like a campground type setting. Uh, and it looped back twice, all, every two, so every 10 miles, essentially, I guess, roughly. But twice a 20-mile lap, it would come back to the thing. And then there was also a, a remote checkpoint where they were serving brisket and barbecue. Uh, for those who were so inclined. And chicken noodle soup and, and shout out okay, to the volunteers great. there. I love them so, so much. So as I say, there's a lot of, you know, the, the support staff didn't have to move uh, and you were back, you know, you were seeing people fairly frequently. So if there was a really bad low point, then, you know, you could sort of get helped out uh, however that needed to be, whatever help you needed, right? Yeah. So yeah. great from that perspective. So, I mean, maybe the a logical question from that would be, you know, when you hit a low point in a workout or in a, a race, you know, what you said you snapped yourself out of it. Like, what does that even mean? Uh, well, usually during a workout, if I'm hitting a low point, I always think about that quote that I've mentioned it a billion times that I once read in a triathlete magazine that was, if I could do Ironman, I could do two more minutes of this. That did not help during a hundred miler because you're like, I did an Ironman. Yeah. You're like, oh, the Ironman was done 12 hours <laughs> the ago. Ironman was done many, many hours ago. Uh, so okay. that was that was useless. Well, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, honestly, I I kind of thought about two different things during during the day. If I was having any kind of low point, I just kind of looked around and I, I asked myself, what would I rather be doing than running in the woods? And honestly, the answer is very little. Like, there's really nothing I I like more than doing that. Uh, so you go to that Kurt Vonnegut. If this isn't nice, I don't know what is. Right. Uh, quote. Um, by nighttime, the problem was the answer to what would I rather be doing was I would rather be sleeping. That would be really nice right now. Um, but honestly, at the, any low point during the night, all I really thought about was the fact that you, you and our friend Greg were waiting for me back at the start finish at the aid station to help me with whatever I needed. Uh, you know, my best friend Karen is right there with me t chatting away. Um, so really honestly, what, what did I possibly have to be upset about? Like a little bit of 
gut rot and you know, a little bit of indigestion, bl- you know, blisters on my big toes. People are dealing with with much much worse in that race, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. Let alone like in the world. So really, what on earth do I have to be grumpy about? The fact that I I get to be out there doing that is just so cool that. Thinking about that pretty much just instantly changed my mood around. Now, maybe you don't think about it, but sometimes the advice given often for that is, you know, that we're going to do, you know, okay, well, that's that's how you're feeling. That's what you're perceiving. But then what can you practically do? And this gets into like doing sort of like a, a check, not a circle check. I was going to say circle check, but, you know, checking on, you know, have you not eaten for the last little bit? Have you drank? You know, is there an electrolyte? You know, is there something with your equipment you can adjust? Yeah, there's actually a great paragraph on that in Chris McDougall's Born to Run, which I reread before pretty much every major run. I was actually rereading it the night before this race. Uh, and in it, he's talking about when he's doing the the 50 mile or that kind of caps the book off. He talks about doing that body scan of how, how am I feeling? Well, I haven't peed in a while. Like, okay, so I might be a little dehydrated. Uh, and I think, yeah, coming back to those very practical things. What can I try? Even Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it shifts the focus then too, right? So it's almost like it, you might actually find that you haven't eaten or you could eat something different or you need some caffeine or you need whatever. Uh, but it also just shifts the focus from this like, woe is me, you know, maybe too inward focused for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good. And I mean, you had... Um, you know, even sometimes it might be, I, I was thinking this race was different in some ways that you were, I think you were allowed to have music. Yep. Yeah. So you had one earbud for a little bit that got you through the second half of your first 50 miles. So the second, what is that from 25 to 50 miles that sort of helped you out? Yeah. For like two hours and I you were alone music playing and I know. was just dancing along the trail and then I had to keep reminding myself to stop dancing along the trail and preserve right. your energy right. and stop being a doofus. And then with these hundred miles, maybe this isn't obvious, you know, it's, a lot of our, our listeners are cyclist and so maybe this idea you keep mentioning karen was pacing you and the pacer and and you know maybe give us a quick rundown of like what that actually means and why yeah so in ultra runs uh, most races i think pretty much anything generally over 50k you'll see something in the the guide the tech guide uh about if you can have a pacer so a pacer is different from your crew and that a pacer is actually going to run with you um and it's not I will tell you this in an ultra, they are not pacing you like here, get in my draft and we'll, we'll smash a record, uh, because that just doesn't happen. Um, but what they do is provide a whole lot of mental and emotional support. And, uh, you know, for me with the, the night runs, so Karen jumped in at, uh, I was 55 or 56 miles in when Karen joined me. Uh, and at that point we had a, only had a little bit of time before it got dark. Uh, this race let you have pacers after mile 50. Uh, so she jumped in and having her to help navigate in the dark was just so helpful. Two he- two headlamps are better than one, as the, the sure. saying goes. Sure. Even in the beginning, actually, at the start of the race, we didn't really touch on this, but I was super nervous at the beginning. You know, 6 a.m. start, still dark out. Um, I don't really do a lot of night running, to be honest. And I was sort of not really sure kind of how to start out. And... I think we were five minutes before the start and I didn't really have a great strategy for how to get going. And you were just, you just kind of came up to me and you're like, you have to go with the front group. Right. Um, and I was not sure if I could hang on with the front group because I had no idea what they were going to do. But I think you were exactly right that I was capable of running the course. We had Karen and I had actually pre-run the loop the weekend before just to see what it was like. So I knew 
I could do decently on it. So I figured if I could just stick with some liters for just till it got light out, I could dial my pace down, have some breakfast and kind of settle into my rhythm. But being alone out there would like in the dark or honestly behind someone who's significantly slower than me in the dark would have just sucked. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to my triathlon days of my tendency to get in the water a little too slow and then get stuck behind someone who was definitely a slower swimmer than me, but would get out of the water ahead of me because I'm terrible at passing. Mm. Um, well, and this course was technical too, right? So you sort of had a, you had to run across this campground in grass and then it was sort of, you know, right into almost like one of the more technical sections in the course. Yeah, really. and you know what? That campground sucked to run through. Like it looked nice and flat, but it was oh, no. not. People fell. Like, it was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I was just like, please don't. It wasn't don't, funny, but I mean. Don't when, eat it as you're coming We out, sat like, there for like 30 hours. So, I mean, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Like, um, at 104 <laughs> miles, as I'm like jogging into the finish, I'm like, this is going to be where you just no, eat I it. No, I felt bad. They had this light shining from the start finish arch. You had to run through it again twice a lap. And when people were coming towards it, this super bright stadium light was shining back at them. So at night it was like blinding them, but then there was these humps and dips in the grass and And lots of leaves (laughs) like in the divots. So So anyhow, it wasn't, it wasn't funny, but again, it was a little funny. (laughs) I would laugh at myself if I watched myself. Yeah. Karen was like, Oh yeah, you seemed kind of slow coming into the campground. I was like, Oh, just wait till you come back and we're going through. And she's like, Oh, you weren't slow at all. (laughs) This is just terrible. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's, so we've talked a bit about that. So Pacer is just this person who helped you. It's sort of for safety, also a bit of support. Um, cool. Okay. So then how did you pace, you know, in these endurance events, it's always this, you know, pacing is this nebulous thing, right? Did you pace, you know, and it's usually the, the, as a couple of the young men who ran with you at the start found out, you know, about 10 miles into the race that the race was, you know, longer than 10 miles. Turns out. So, how did you pace yourself? Uh, by annoying the crap out of those young men who were with me, mainly. Um, I, I have the firm belief that in ultras, uh, conversation pace is very important. Right. Okay. Uh, the ability to carry on a chat. So I irritated the crap out of the, the gentlemen that were with me for the first few hours by just chattering away at them. Uh, I'm going to say I got this from my, my dear friend, Karen, the ability to chat and run. So I was basically just grilling them and talking at them. And at one point, the, the guy who was absolutely lovely, like amazing, amazing people that I ran with, was just like, uh, I have never talked this much in a hundred miles, let alone the first <laughs> lap of a race. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm really sorry. This is just how I... This is how I function, and I'll even do that in shorter races that are harder, but I think it, it boosts my morale in general, but then it also just lets me just kind of check in on where where my breathing is and mm-hmm. just make sure that I'm not pushing too hard on any one section. Well, and did you find, you know, again, you did this 100K, this was last year, last summer, maybe? Yeah, last, last May. Yeah. Okay, so last spring. Um, so, I mean, you've run for a distance, and, and with this endurance stuff, it's sort of once you get to a certain point, the pace isn't actually like, I'm sure your hundred K pace was not a ton different than the hundred mile, you know, obviously different terrain, terrain accepted, similar, terrain yeah. accepted. Um, but if we looked at maybe a heart rate or if we had run power or something, I would imagine it's not, you know, it's not the difference between like 500 and 250. It's, you know, closer, whatever these arbitrary units are. Um, so I guess when you're doing it, you know, a lot of the answer, and this is some, I had a conversation with someone today about warm-ups, and it's this like, well, what should I do for a warm-up? And we're asking this on race day, and it's like, well, what have you been warming up 
for all your workouts. Right. <laughs> right. And so sometimes as a coach, I'm like, okay, I sort of dropped the ball there maybe and didn't like illustrate this fact and, you know, pay attention to the ones you like and what ones you feel good. But with pacing, it strikes me that like you, you, you know, you did 20 mile runs, you did 30 mile runs and, and you sort of, you know, similar pace in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not like you finished those 30 miles and fell over from fatigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think the other thing I did, I couldn't actually tell you my pace. Like, I literally had my watch under my shirt, so I couldn't actually read it for the first three. Actually, I never took it out now that I'm thinking about it. I, I checked it a few times in the last couple laps, but at no point did I ever really look at my watch um, because I didn't want to to see a pace or see a time and have any kind of connection to it. Right. So the only time I was seeing times was when I was coming through the start finish and I could kind of look at what the, the full lap time was. Um, but even then I was trying not to pay too close attention to it because I didn't really want to, to latch on to any, any one time. I think in that way, I was actually lucky that when we pre-ran it, we actually messed up the course of it. So I didn't really get a great read on what, and we like stopped to chat with a woman on the trail. We stopped to take pictures. Like I didn't really get a great read on what just a smooth lap of it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have any attachment to any certain time. So I think that actually helped a lot. And yeah, it was, it was a little kind of jarring to realize in the first couple, like after two laps, I was like, oh, I'm significantly under like the, the men's record time. And that actually kind of terrified me a little bit because then I started to think that I was maybe like super overpaced and couldn't hold it. But then when I did sort of that body check-in at that point, I was like, oh, but I feel totally fine. Like, I don't really know that I going slower would be helping me right now. Well, you probably wanted to stay warm too, because that was sort of one of the main hurdles, right? Was the temperature got quite cold. I can tell you as I sat still. (laughs) Yeah. I think it actually dropped colder than anticipated on like the weather app and stuff. And in my head, I thought just a change of dry clothes would be enough at night. Uh, we actually did stop and do a full change. I also needed to pop some blisters and tape some blisters on my mm-hmm. feet. We did sort of a full switch over at about halfway, right? Yeah, yeah. just kind of at sunset. Um, so clean the feet. And again, this is the type of thing where someone in your position might have got carried away. And I was actually worried you were going to get, you know, Karen's here. Let's bust this out, you know, and go harder. So you have to take, I don't know what you were stopped for. Did you look at that? Was it? 10 15 20 maybe even call it 20 minutes say right in the course of 24 hours i think we looked and i think i was only stopped for an hour 10 total like stoppage time like counting like all the aid stations and everything which is actually like quite and and probably also some time just where you were going very slow up a hill or you know Mm -hmm. whatever so yeah that's not a lot i mean you could look at it as maybe it's a spot to improve in the future but again you have to look at like this pacing is this investment that 15 minutes to get your your feet all cleaned and your retaped and yeah. dry clothes yeah it's hard so to the say dry clothes were great but we definitely were sort of underprepared for the fact that it was actually going to dip as cold as it got um and Maybe maybe it wasn't so much that we were underprepared for the actual temperature, so much as we were underprepared for what my body was going to be like. I mm-hmm. mean, a it would just feel, everything would feel colder because I'm tired. Um, but then B, honestly, like you end up getting pretty bloated during those. Like you wouldn't think so in your head. You're probably like, oh, hundred miler, you're going to be right. super skinny. Think of all at those calories. End. Yeah, um, you're not. You're actually pretty big at the end. You're a little poofy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And my winter, like my, my windbreaker was actually like, it's a pretty tight windbreaker in a regular day. So zipped up over a very bloated belly, like definitely 
impinged on my breathing. Like my hydration pack is pretty fitted. And that started bugging me once we had a windbreaker and a puffy coat under it. Yeah. And maybe, you know, the temperature got so low that I think I said this to you that you're like, it, you weren't going fast enough or, you know, generating enough work to, you know, at some point it gets too cold that the work you're, you're doing isn't enough to keep your body warm. Right. Mm-hmm. So people have probably felt this, you know, if you go harder, it warms you up. Right. Is sort of the idea. Or if you've ever trained on a uh, indoor trainer or something or a treadmill in like a cold garage, right. You, you warm up and then, you know, you're warm but like if you're running at that pace you might not be yeah no I kept saying to Karen I I like couldn't fathom the people who were out all night just hiking on that like they must have been so so cold most people were bundled up pretty well I didn't see a lot of people rolling out with you know shorts or you know that sort of stuff but I'm sure some people (laughs) got cold for sure uh so would you do anything different from that perspective like you would have just put on your puffy coat earlier or not Uh, not as tight yeah, I think I would just have had a different set of clothing, like probably similar as far as the actual like warmth levels of it went. But just, you know, I have different pieces of clothing that would have probably been more appropriate. We were talking about it after. I was like probably taking off the windbreaker and just throwing on a hoodie, honestly, would have been fine. Um, I have bigger vests, like throwing right. on a different vest probably would have been a good idea. It's hard, though, when you're in a groove to and you know i was having no chafing issues with my pack and i tend to have chafing issues with packs Mm -hmm. so the idea of switching anything out was very very scary so yeah you kind of want to keep rolling with with what's working yeah it's tough tough to make those decisions lots of decisions in these events right and i think the experience you know both in training and in racing builds that for sure uh so on that topic of an experience is there anything you know that's you know worked I don't know. Where do we want to go? Things. Let's start with the regrets. Those are the more fun ones. So you said clothing, not as tight, you know, just slightly different. Anticipate some poofing. Is there anything else? Um, I mean, one thing we talked about was definitely doing more night running. If I'm going to do more of these, I think just being better at managing on the trails and perhaps even just managing late at night. Like I was lucky when I did hit, I hit one moment of feeling tired and I just kind of sternly, was just like snap out of it. Like you're not you're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was fine, but I think I would actually probably prep a bit more, do some, you know, head out at 11 PM for (laughs) quick little, little jaunts on trails and get in some, or just early. We talked about that too. It's tough. Mm -hmm. We, we, you and I are both not, you know, we're, I don't know if it's not not nine to five, but sun up to sundown for sure. Uh, for anything outside of the house, I guess. Um, so that's, that's definitely a hurdle. And and it's interesting that I I thought one of the notes I had was just sort of like these blind spots and things you sort of wish you did more of. And and I think, you know, Rebecca Rush has that quote. I always like that sort of like, you're never as prepared as you want to be for big events like this. I I can't recall what she was, one of the big events she does. Uh, and, and at some point you just have to go to the start line and, you know, (laughs) what is it? Dance with the, uh, I don't know. There's a couple of phrases, dance with the girl who brought you. Is that the one I'm looking for? I I don't know if that's the one one who brought you or something. Yeah. Um, but I I get the gist of it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you have what you have, right. And so you're going to just go and do the best you can and plan ahead and, you know, work through some of these contingencies. But we knew going into that, that, you know, you hadn't run a hundred miles before, Hadn't right so we knew like 13 hours before yeah well over 100k we knew that just what what happens <laughs> we don't know yeah. uh and we didn't know at night right like you could have panicked or gotten tired and you know shut down completely right and that's you know we try and work through it but it, the the it was possible 
that that could have unraveled completely, right? Mm. So we got a little lucky. Uh, you prepared as you could, but I think the, what I thought about that was just the you're not there's just you can't prepare for everything, right? And so no, because everything's going to have trade offs. If I was doing more night running and more or super early running, that's going to affect the fact that I've been getting really good sleep, and sleep is a huge priority for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of yeah, everything is going to have a trade off. I struggle with that with you know the 24 hour racers, the solo people I've worked with. Um, you know, it's, it's just so tough to be to, for exactly that reason, right? Is it really worth it? We, you know, we try and do like a Friday night ride or something and then they wake up Saturday morning and go ride again, you know, without sort of disrupting sleep that much, but it's tricky. I don't know. I think it's one of those things that you almost have to do, you know, the best 24 hour racers have probably just done a lot of 24 hour races. Yeah. Yeah. And cause da- David's not, what does he think? don't want to put words into his mouth your coach he, david roche yeah at no point did he suggest doing night runs yeah. or anything and like to that. your point i mean the lights now are so good you have someone with you who's you know experienced with this number one and number two has another light and backup lights and it's going to say hey stop crying it's not scary here yeah so i mean it, it's one of those things that it's is it actually that much is it was it that weird being out at night no, and I mean, it's not like I've never run in the dark or anything <laughs> right. like that. Like, it's right. not like, oh, the first time out. And you did, you did test your lights a bit, too. You've used the one you had a few times Yeah, now. and I mean, when, when Karen was running her Bruce Trail FKT and we were crewing Same for line. her, I did a few of the night segments with her. <laughs> I guess so you guys I, did run during we, that. Yeah, so I, I think that goes to the, like, as prepared yeah. as you can be. I might not have a ton of experience with night running, but I do have a ton of experience with night running with that particular pacer, and I knew exactly what it was going to feel like. Now, you know, I want to continue on that thread a little bit and then pull on it a little bit. Um, you, you did a post, which I will link to it, and it's the, what did the two weeks look before my 100 miler look like? And this is sometimes the question is, you know, the two weeks, yes, but I also, so people can check that out if they want the nitty gritty. Uh, but also, you know, we just were saying you didn't run 100 miles before you ran 100 miles uh, or raced 100 miles. Uh, and in fact, David said, do not run a hundred yeah, miles he yelled at me when I because you were going to do a, a quote unquote challenge. And he said, it, not, Absolutely no, not. Uh, certainly not for your first one, I think was his advice mm-hmm. uh, for a hundred miles. So this is always the catch or the trick is people want to get really close and like prove it to themselves beforehand with these big events. Right. And you said cost, you know, cost benefit. Um, but in this year, even like what we said, the 30 was the longest one you did. I mean, in 2022 or yeah. I mean, within, say, the last four months. Uh, thirty Actually, 37 miles was three weeks before the race. I did a six-hour as a, right. a little shakeout, uh, right, <laughs> shakeout right. six-hour. Uh, because on that note, I was very nervous about getting on a start line because I hadn't been on one for So we have this odd years. pandemic thing we're coming, we're uh, in, or, yeah. or, you know, and, so, and it has affected the races. So, uh, yeah, that was sort of like a weird gamble. Did you feel like that was a gamble or... I didn't, didn't. I knew mentally it was going to 100% be be worth it, but I was a little nervous about what it was going to do to my body. I mean, six hours, uh, you know, in 10 degree weather on ice was a little a little questionable, but I thought it would make me much stronger mentally. Well, there's, so it's worth it. that said, I mean, then you took two to full days off at least, right? Two full days off after that, but actually after that was into like a pretty vicious training week though. Okay. Like, because we were going to have to taper down like pretty the, quickly. The next two weeks. So we really yeah. like, we did that race and then I had a pretty big week. And then right after that, we sort of went into the taper and we also were driving down to Arkansas to be at Cyclocross Worlds. We were going to be at Cyclocross Worlds. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was, it was 
a great lead up, but it was also not a perfect lead up. Right? And it was three weeks or four weeks? That was three weeks because okay. uh, Cyclocross Worlds was two weeks. And then the week before okay. it, I did the 20 mile. Cool. Uh, so, but 37 miles, which yeah. is not a third, but it's pretty close to a third. Yeah. Before that, I mean, we did. Yeah. I hadn't run more than more than yeah 30 miles sure. at a time and even time wise you know sometimes the distance can be misleading too and it's like you know that was a six hour race um and you wouldn't have much workouts that were or many workouts i should say that are were like four or three three to four hours type thing yeah i'd say very few of my runs would ever go over three hours right right because i'd have a fair number of 20 milers but they're right around three hours yeah and that's sort of bread and butter is the like tens and 20s right the 30 was actually like a sort of an abnormally that was a big week that was a big week it was a 30 and a 20 Mm -hmm. yeah in one weekend and that's sometimes that's missed too there's the 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 week right being we had the hansen marathon who did we have on was it uh I'll, i'll link to that episode too it was a running about road running marathon and their philosophy for the road marathon uh is i don't think they ever go over 16 miles uh for that right and that's getting shorter on things but Again, some context for, you know, you don't have to simulate the race distance. Yeah, I think what gives me a lot of confidence is knowing that it's, while all of that sounds, you know, quote unquote low mileage, there's a ton of 100 milers who do 100 mile weeks regularly. I think my biggest week was an 85 mile week, maybe. And you're still relatively new to this. Yeah, but that said, like a lot of a lot of David's uh, coaching clients don't go over much over 85 i think you know i remember listening to a podcast with claire gallagher in the year she won western states and i think she was saying most of her weeks she wouldn't go over 70 mm-hmm. which is around the mileage i was doing so mm-hmm. that definitely gave me confidence even if it's like obviously you know everyone's bodies are different and respond differently and all that but to know that it's possible to go out and smash a race on that kind of quote-unquote low mileage yeah we get into the same discussion you know with the the tss or the training load and then the hours and it's this thing that you know Lots of pros don't do, you know, these massive hours, right? And there's lots of amateurs that do these hours. So the hours can't, you know, they don't determine the race result or the speed always, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a, a rough, you know, the, you know, you can't do zero, right? We agree on that. There's probably the extremes we maybe agree on. Uh, but it gets trickier in the middle for sure. And you got to find that that level. And, and with these pros too, what it gets ignored is it's not just today or this week or this month. It's, you know, the 10 years. Mm-hmm. So the consistency is a big piece. Yeah, I think that's it. Actually, we were laughing about it. If you go back three years ago, three years ago in January, we have an episode with my then new coach, David Roche, and we talked about me eventually doing a hundred miler and what it was going to look like. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny to say like we have the ability on this podcast to actually go back and see the very beginning of that journey. Right, right. And so I'll link to that. I don't know. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you could also pull that audio and put it you know, right about oh, here. Geez. There you go. Now you have to do it. Oh no. Let's just, let's dream long term. Because like you're, you know, you're talented and you're on this trajectory of like long-term growth. Who knows where that leads? And that's the most exciting part, you know, is structure. Like, even though we'd say results don't matter, like I really want athletes to dream really big, like dream so big that like you, it makes you giggle a little bit, you know, like that giddy laugh that, that we all have when we're like, I don't know if that's the smart thing. Um, because that's that, what is better to like get you out the door and love the process than this big, scary thing on the, like on the horizon. But, you know, always keep in mind that that big, scary thing is just a means to an end. It's not, it doesn't actually matter in and of itself. And we're back. And we're back. 
and so, yeah, this idea that it was three years, and I've said that to a lot of people when they've said, oh, you know, congratulations to Molly or whatever. And I said, you know, thanks. But, you know, also, you know, it, it's not even that you know that was an impressive day and a good execution and it took a lot of effort and you had to drive down there and you had to pre-run it uh so a lot went into that like a race for sure uh acutely but it's also just three months three years of of training specifically for that Mm -hmm. Um, well it's funny because yeah it makes me think a lot about the you hear it all all the time on entrepreneurial podcasts where it's like the the myth of the overnight success because i right now i i'm getting a lot of people that yeah, didn't know me before this. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like, what a huge course, right? Like first hundred miler, like amazing. And it's like, yeah, but but I've been building for this it's for not three years. Blue. Like yeah. I could have probably done a hundred miler two years ago. It would have been not as good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I probably could have like muscled my way through it. But to, to build up as slow and steady and like pointedly as I did, I think is why this one went as well as it did. And I mean, who's to say that any other race I do will ever go this well again? It's actually... This might be the major problem with this race for me is I feel like it's maybe set a, a precedent, hopefully not for ever, everyone else watching me race, but certainly in my head, I think now I have a bit of uh, a nervous like, oh, no, now I'm going to go into races. It's only down from here. It's only down from here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's scarier, right? Like going into that race, I wasn't really that stressed because the goal was to finish. Mm-hmm. Um I had it in the back of my head that I wanted to get the women's record. I had it in the back of my head that it even, you know, after running a lap of it, it seemed possible that maybe the men's record would even be, you know, going under 27 hours. I I remember saying my, my main goal was that we could get home to watch the Super Bowl. Not that I particularly care about the Super Bowl, but to be done in time to get home, to be on the couch for five 30, which would have meant getting done by, you know, two PM PM. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, that was that was where my head was at but you know i i also didn't really think too hard about uh about what that looked like for each lap and what pace time i had to hit or anything like that as, right as and i, I thought you know in line with that and then we'll get into fueling um i thought david's pre-race of you know let go of any narratives and expectations i think was his advice yeah which i think worked on both sides right like getting rid of the narrative of smashing a record and winning but also getting rid of the narrative of it's your first hundred so you're going to be slow and it might suck and you might Mm -hmm. not finish Mm -hmm. yeah i I picked on you because you went into the you you saw a bunch of people who were dressed in trail running gear and they looked intimidating well they were talking about the ultras they've done and the ultras they were gonna do (laughs) no and i I said i think you look by far the most legit and that's not you know i'm biased i guess but i'm like (laughs) I, i think you need to move to the front of this line so that you don't get swarmed by these by everyone, right? And that's, you know, no disrespect to anyone. It's just, you know, we, you were there to do something uh, and you want to be confident and, and everything else. But it's funny. I, I have the same thing. Like I, I understand because like I go to a, like a bike race and I'm like, oh my God, everyone has fancy bikes and all their, you know, they have matching clothing and I look like a goof and don't know what I'm doing. And you look down, you also have fancy clothing <laughs> and fancy bikes. Well, medium, me. I guess. Yeah. But I think that's normal, right? We think that everyone's looking at us and we think that, you know, everyone's really really good and, and they probably are or could be better but i think you know having confidence in the work you've done and, and you know that you can do what you went for mm-hmm. uh is good so fueling yeah yeah we've had a couple of people ask about what i did so just kind of very quickly and i'll do a full so post. you had brisket 
had brisket. No brisket. No brisket. Okay. Uh, I w- they threatened the fact that they were going to do some trout fishing and there was going to be <laughs> trout on course. And I was very concerned about that because I think that would have killed me. Right. Um, and I'll, like I said, I'll do a full, I'll do a full post over on Consummate. And this is very common. You know, our bikepacking uh, followers here or, or listeners, I should say, uh, are familiar with it. You know, you start craving these, you know, more savory foods. You know, I know bikepacking clients are there's pizza, there's breakfasts. There's all this stuff. So it's not surprising. We're not criticizing this, you know, the choice. No, of, once you're at 24 plus hours, it, it probably goes. Trout's a little much though. Um, I, yeah. I was just picturing not someone, judging. I was just picturing someone like straight up filleting a trout, like in the aid station, like slapping down this, like still wiggling <laughs> trout. I just, couldn't handle it when you told me. Uh, yeah. So, so the base of your fueling, you had a pack. We had six, five, five, five packs that you took. Yep. Each pack had about 800 calories of tailwind and one and a half unflavored liters of water. tailwind unflavored is important tailwind. so this is less sweet than like your certainly a gatorade yeah and Which, i will say like ed, anyone that asks if it's actually unflavored no it's no, still sweet i can't like, handle it yeah it's it's a lot <laughs> yeah, but it's, it works well with my stomach i've used it for probably four can years be mixed pretty uh, dense as absolutely well. like not yeah. sponsored i should be sponsored yeah. tailwind should sponsor me um but yeah, I've been using it for a really long time. It's the one thing I can tolerate. And um, I was actually just telling someone today because they were like, how did you handle Tailwind for that like that long? Most people would like tap out after 12 hours and have to go to straight water. And I was like, no, like that was what I was going to do. That was my plan. Yeah. I executed on it. It was not good. I did not love it by, mm-hmm. my, you know, by hour and, 20. And you were taking some cups of water at the AIDS as well. Actually, you know what? I never had a single cup of water. I was doing little Dixie cups of Mountain Dew and chicken noodle soup at the aid they stations. They had Mountain Dew. They did. The, oh, it was the like best made, race ever. Made for you. Molly has a mean Mountain Dew addiction um, yeah. that we've we've curbed mostly. We've curbed, I'll say yeah. we, um, <laughs> as if I had anything to do. But you you don't have it that often. But around runs, you like Mountain Dew. Yeah. Uh, that's that was convenient. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, there it was go. great. So I had yeah. that. Uh, I had chicken noodle soup at aid stations. Peter made me noodles at uh, most of the times when I came through. So I had oodles of noodles. Um, okay, and that, that's a popular one. Some of these like noodles and the broth. I think people like yeah. again savory and yeah. salty. Yeah, and in my pack, I would also I had Snickers. The I only had like one or two because it got too cold to really bite into them. And Snickers are mean when it's like below forty five degrees out. Like you're pretty sure you're gonna break a filling or something. Right. Uh, so, but I actually realized Reese's worked really well because you could chomp into them and they you can basically just swallow them like whole and you're not gonna choke on them. Okay. So. I was doing a lot of Reese's, which I think actually helped with like a little bit of fat, a little bit of protein just from the peanut butter in that. Um, so I think that kind of evened things out. But really the tailwind was like what I, what my main plan was okay. um, because I knew I'm not great at eating. Like that's just, that's part of who I am as a runner and, and you've a again cyclist. used that a ton. Yeah. Uh, so I've worked now, really hard to conditions. get used to it. And yeah, I was pretty proud of myself. I actually did drain. I didn't dr- it's not like I went through five full packs, but I, I drained pack one. It was pretty good. I wasn't too worried about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, I don't think there was a lot of air. You tried a couple of different sandwiches and we had lots of options. We had chips and pretzels and pastries different things. and cookies. Oh, Karen had made ginger cookies, like ginger snap cookies that uh, I had asked her to make for me because I, I knew she made excellent ones. And those were actually fantastic. Just having that little, like she doubled the ginger content in them. So having that ginger was even if it was more of a placebo effect, it felt very soothing. Hmm. Um, 
And at night they got pretty cold. So we actually had to do a bit of like back and forth trying to warm them up enough that I could actually eat them. So props to her for <laughs> for cookie warming on the go. Okay, good stuff. Uh, so that's, you know, a, a sample, I guess, of what someone eats while they run for yeah. 100 hours. I think the big 100, uh, 100 hours, 100 yeah. miles. Uh, I think the, the disappointing thing, though, is uh, afterwards, everyone's like, oh, my God, you must have eaten everything. And I would actually say I feel like my intake for the couple days after was maybe even low or like lower than what I normally eat because honestly your gut is just trying to catch up and you're just Mm -hmm. not really as hungry as you would anticipate. Like you kind of picture this buffet of food that you're going to have after and it's amazing and you're going to eat everything in sight. And I did eat a lot. Mm -hmm. I did snack, you know, we stopped for ice cream on our drive. Not, Uh, not a, not home from the race. Though. Oh, not home no, from the race. You slept I, for No, I ate a pastry on the way home. Okay, okay. Um, but you don't really need as much, like you don't end up eating I think your body food. shuts down because yeah. it's so damaged. Yeah. <laughs> that, that it, I think it sort of just is like, I we can't handle that. You know, we're putting resources here. So I think that makes sense. Uh, but you recovered fairly well. And, and I think as far as post-event goes, you, you were able to eat fairly reasonably. I think the happiest, like the thing that makes me the proudest about this entire race is honestly how I've recovered from it. Because, uh, you know, we've done, I've done Ironmans where I wasn't walking for like a couple days after. The first marathon I did, I couldn't walk for like four days. I couldn't walk down steps for like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to, you know, get home, take a walk upstairs myself unaided, uh, and take a nap and then walk back downstairs afterwards. Uh, that was just like super exciting for me and to be able to walk around the next day to be able to spin on a bike at the hotel for a few minutes, just to flush my legs out a little, like being able to do that just felt so, so just rewarding. And like, I actually like, like I'd put in the right work, like the training had really paid off. Right. Yeah, and sometimes we don't think about that, right? The recovery afterwards, the ability to, you know, walk away. You know, often I talk about the marathoners, like the pros, you know, they don't call, you know, they might collapse at the finish line because that's what people do now. Uh, But they, you know, they walk to the podium generally themselves. You know, they're not the ones who, as you say, they can't walk downstairs the next day. They probably go for a recovery run the next day. Uh, So I do, I think that's a good sign of conditioning, right? That you can sort of walk away from it, so to speak. Yeah, literally. Uh, So last question then is, is what now? You know, I, I, I take it you now have to do 200 miles is that how this logically goes you know what i do think the hundred might be just where i'm i'm stopping as far as the distance goes um i I realize like i've written about this on our site the the distance creep the goal creep right um and i think now i want to figure out what i want to hone like i've now done the biggest run that i really want to do so now okay what's what's next it's getting better and faster and i don't know if that's going to be at the 100 mile or the 100k or the 50 mile um i went into the 100 mile thinking it was just going to be about gaining confidence if i could do 100 miles not even fast if i could do 100 miles then i could go out and i could really race a 50 miler because i think that's where i've i've really suffered or struggled is this idea of like oh i just need to finish okay, I need to finish 100K, I need to finish a 50 miler. But now I think I could go to a start line and actually line up and, you know, I have the tiger it a little bit and go out and push through. Um, so I think that's <laughs> racing something next is definitely on my my list, we'll say. Okay, and that's sort of pre de- or to be determined still for this season. Uh, mm-hmm. But you're still, you're in rest week, so you haven't run since the race. 
No, I haven't. Okay, so that's part of what now. So that's that's good. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that it's, you know, you did 100 miles. I actually said the annoying thing about the 100 miler is it's going to be like my lowest mileage three weeks. Right. Like in over a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when averaged out anyway. Right. When you take the sort of taper in and the recovery after, yeah. right? And that's sometimes with these big things, you know, it's sort of like, you know, will you someone be able to handle that? You know, or is there sometimes you'll see it's like they want to, we want to, I'll say we, we want to hold on to that, you know, oh, I had a hundred miles. So this week I'll, I'll just make it 150. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say I did 150 mile week, right? Wow. And then I should make my month. I should make the month into 500 miles. And you know what this kind of leads up to maybe, maybe a tip here is actually, if you're looking for a training plan or if you're working with a coach, I do think having something in the books for the next couple of weeks after your race, whether like even when it is like a recovery week in there and then maybe a couple workouts and like having something there instead of just a blank after your race is really, really helpful, right? Like I can look at my training plan and I see rest, 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 rest. And then I know that on Monday I get to run three miles. Right. Woohoo. Three miles. So a whole week, no running. A whole week, no running. Yeah. I'm allowed to spin if I want. Okay. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just you know, I'm back okay. to walking, well, back there to my yoga, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's good context. You know, when we're doing these things, that's, uh, there's a lot of ways to look at it and plot out, you know, how much recovery you need. I think it's probably a little individual, but. And it's tough because I'm right now I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get back. I'm like, I feel great. Which like, is let's good. Go for a run. That's one of the first signs uh, you're looking for, for sure. But I'm trying to really not go for that because I know that's how I tend to get into trouble. So. We're, we're taking this rest week and honestly, frankly, I have enough work to catch up on anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I don't yeah. really know where I'd get a run in regardless. Cool. All right. Well, kudos. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. And I'll have some more stuff going up with, you know, what gear I used, what fuel I used, a bit more on like the learning experience of it, uh, heading up over at consummateathlete.com. So you can check that out. Uh, we'll link to a billion episodes in the show notes. Um, and everybody who who messaged us, I, me, Peter, Consummate Athlete, um, during the race and after the race, thank you guys so much. I've been pretty much in tears like since the yeah, since some really race kind finished. messages. Cool people are watching. Just so. Really, really, yeah. Good on you. All right, yeah. All right, thank you so much, and we will see you on Tuesday. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.